With us this morning is Dr. Hugh Ross, who is uh, an astrophysicist and a founder and senior scholar of Reasons to Believe. It's an organization that researches and communicates how discoveries about nature, science, they harmonize with the words of the Bible. That is a very important uh, aspect of our conversation this morning. Dr. Ross, thank you for uh, spending some time with us. I have been paying attention to a very interesting subject that uh, is running around. Uh, there's been congressional hearings about this. There's, uh, of course, many of the uh, internet boards are talking about all kinds of things. Basically, I want to explore the topic of if the scientific community were to divulge to us that in one shape, form, or fashion, life on another planet had been definitively discovered, how does that affect our faith, if at all? And that's kind of what I'd like to pose to you. Just jump right in. Well, the Christian community has been debating that subject for 1,900 years, yeah. <laughs> with about an equal number of Christian scholars on both sides. Right. I mean, there are scholars who have argued for centuries that if you read Psalm 104, it really portrays God as really enjoying creating, and he creates to the fullest extent here on planet Earth. And by analogy, they argue that that God would also create life elsewhere. He just seems to really enjoy creating. And therefore, they, they've been predicting that uh, we're going to find life on other planets uh, orbiting other stars. Then there's another group of theologians that say, yes, but when you look at the Gospels, Notice how frequently Jesus refused to perform miracles. He seems to only perform miracles that are designed to achieve his purpose in bringing people to repentance. And they argue that life on another planet is not necessary if that's God's primary focus. And they point out that the Bible teaches that God began his works of redemption before he created anything at all. So from a redemptive perspective, they conclude that we are alone. And now what's interesting today is astronomers are now jumping in. We now have the technology to actually detect uh, life in other planetary systems. And I've been on record since the early 1980s that we will find the remains of life in virtually every solar system body. And that's simply because of how prolific life has been here on Earth and for how long it's been prolific. And the best place, in my opinion, to find it is on the surface of the moon. Hmm. The moon, for example, contains about 20,000 kilograms of Earth material for every 100 square kilometers. And mm -hmm. one ton of Earth soil contains 100 quadrillion microbes. So uh, we should be able to go to the moon. And the exciting thing for me is that the fossils of Earth's first life have been destroyed by Earth's geology. But Earth material got transported to the moon through meteoritic impacts. Right. The moon has almost no geology. We can go to the moon, and we'll find the pristine fossils of Earth's first life and determine who got the origin of life model correct, the atheist or the theist. And I actually got to speak at this in NASA Houston uh, years ago and said, hey, let's go back to the moon with a different mission to find the Earth-transported soil, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to make people excited. Uh, and last time I checked, atheists and theists made up 100% of the taxpayer base. <laughs> Let's go there and see who got it right. That's true. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Know? I love that. I, when it comes to this subject, I think education is so important because I did not even know that to be true, that meteors are something that transfers material from Earth to 
uh, our moon, does it go to all planets then? Is that something that... Well, the second best place to look for it is Mars. Okay. But the quantity on Mars is 100 times less than it is on the moon. So it would be much easier to find it on the moon than on Mars. But I noticed NASA's focused on Mars, and that, that is a place where we could find the remains of Earth's life. Uh, we'll actually find it, in my opinion, on all solar system bodies except the sun, uh, if we're willing to go to enough effort. On the other hand, that meteoritic transport method cannot move the fossils of microbes across interstellar space. Mm-hmm. It only works on interplanetary space. So we haven't infected other planetary systems and other planetary systems have not infected us. And once we astronomers look beyond our solar system, all we see are very hostile conditions for life. Mm. I mean, a lot of my colleagues are involved in astrobiology, the search for life uh, in the uh, outside of the solar system. And the joke in the community is, it still ranks as the only data-free discipline in science. (laughs) Kind of a backhanded compliment. So I I know that when when in a in a scientific realm we talk about life on another planet you are and you mentioned this microbial life and uh, perhaps the the chemical makeup that that would make life possible carbon water etc cetera, etc cetera. do you feel that on exoplanets that there may be the conditions that would be favorable for original uh, life not transferred from an, from Earth contact, or is that just not possible? Well, that's a debate, and mm-hmm. if you go to the NASA website, they claim that there's 40 billion possibly habitable planets in our Milky Way galaxy alone, but all they're looking at is what's called the liquid water habitable zone. What's the possibility of finding a planet that's at the right distance from its star that it could have a temperature range where liquid water could exist on its surface for at least a short period of time. And yeah, the 40 billion is uh, roughly correct. However, uh, we now know, we astronomers know of 14 distinct planetary habitable zones. So for example, Mm. for a life to be truly habitable, it must simultaneously be orbiting its star in the ultraviolet habitable zone and liquid water habitable zone. And that shrinks that 40 billion down to less than half a billion. And then you've got 12 more habitable zones. The bottom line, I've written about this in my book, Design to the Core. The bottom line is, of the 6,000 planets that have now been discovered, only one of those planets exists in even three of the 14 known habitable zones. It's the same one that exists in all 14. You get one guess which planet that is. Earth. Yes. So there's a lot of talk about UAPs. Yes. Would you describe for us what they possibly could be or what we're finding out about them or how we even question what these are? They used to be called UFOs. They're now calling them UAPs, which stands for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. And uh, so uh, the countries in the world, especially Western Europe and America, have been releasing classified information on this. As I've looked at that data, it's not in any way distinct from the data that was released 30, 40 uh, years ago. So I don't see anything new in the uh, database. It is a huge database. I got involved in this when I was 16, when I was the director mm-hmm. of observations. 
for Vancouver's Astronomical Society. Uh, I knew the night sky. They had me process the UFO reports. 99% of what people reported to me as a UFO, I could explain as natural phenomena, a hoax, or secret military activity. Mm-hmm. But there's a 1% residual. And what's interesting about that 1% residual, we can prove it's real. For example, when people observe these things going through the atmosphere and crashes into the earth, you go to the crash site, you'll sometimes see a crater, a shallow crater, melted snow, always damaged vegetation. But when you go there, there's no debris, there's no artifacts. And when they see it going through the atmosphere at five to 10,000 miles per hour, no sonic boom and no heat friction uh, behind what you see going through the atmosphere which means we're looking at something that violates the laws of physics. So we're dealing with something that's non-physical, but real. That's astrophysicist Hugh Ross with Reasons to Believe. There's more of this conversation coming up in part two tomorrow on Mornings with Seth and Deb.